Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Switch of Play. And it's uh, a delight to see Mickey Barron back with us alongside. We had uh, Mark Tinkler on a loan for a week last week, but uh, you've regained your place, Mickey. Are you pleased about it? Yeah, I'm delighted. I think there was a few people wanting to make things as loan permanent, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> from what I've heard. But no, I, um, it, it sounded like a brilliant show last week. I did listen to it on the way home from Cornwall, so. Um, uh, it was some good stories and Tinks did a good job, but no, I'm delighted to be back. How was your little break away? Was it good? Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, um, we, we did quite a lot of surfing, as we call it. I think bodyboarding is more <laughs> what it actually was. And just spent time together in the garden and the house we're in and, and eating fish and chips and doing all the things you would normally do on holiday. So we had a brilliant, brilliant time away. And we managed to, to stop off in Bristol on the way there and, and caught up with John Bass and his friend Robbie Rich and and Jack Baldwin. So we went out for a curry that night and they had a couple of beers. And it was actually lovely to see Jack because I haven't seen him for a long time. And uh, he's turned into a man now. He's, he's a fully grown man with, with kids. And, um, but uh, he just signed for Bristol Rovers. So he was down in Bristol and it was nice to catch up with him. Was that, was that a planned thing to meet up with Jack then? You didn't just bump into him out somewhere? Well, it, it wasn't <laughs> planned by me. I was, I was uh, meeting Robbie and, and John. And um, Robbie's kept in touch with Jack. Right. Um, since he was at Hartlepool and, and when he moved to Bristol, Robbie's, Robbie's lived in Bristol all his life and, and he, well, he, he's been living in Bristol a long time. So I think he just contacted him and, and he said, oh, Mickey's coming down, do you want to come out? And Jack was like, oh yeah, I'm around. So um, I think he just started pre-season that day. So obviously he didn't have a beer, but uh, we had a, a curry and a nice catch-up. Obviously, people on people online were speculating that you were going down there. A little bit of research, doing the work for switcher player, get some new guests on. <laughs> well, Jack said he's more than happy to come on if we ever need him to come on. So, <laughs> um, but to be honest, Bassy, um, he looks like more Salah at the minute. He's got a beard, his hair's up there. He's uh, <laughs> saw that in the photo, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we could we could get a Bristol Bristol trio on. We could get them all on together at some point. Now, tonight's guest, Craig Harrison, um, it's fair to say probably he didn't see the best of Hartlepool United like too many people over the last few years. Um, he was sort of in and around you um, when you were coming through the ranks at Middlesbrough, wasn't he? Yeah, he was either a year or two years below me at, at Middlesbrough. So I know him and I've known him for a long time without ever really knowing him that well, if you know what I mean. I think um, mm. he, I'd probably more or less moved on when he was in the first team. So... A uh, real nice guy, from what I remember, at, at Middlesbrough. And obviously, he had his frustrations with his injuries and, and everything to do with his career. And as you say, I think his time at Hartlepool as a manager seemed to be, looking from the outside, probably as hard as it could have been for anyone. So, it'd be interesting to hear his take on it. And and I'm I'm, I'm interested to know if he regrets actually taking the job, if he, yeah. if he, if he thinks he should have waited for another job uh, to come along which would probably have helped his career more than going to Hartlepool. Well, welcome to Switch of Play, Craig Harrison. Delighted to, to have you on, Craig. First of all, how are you? How, how are you doing? How's the family? Yeah, good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, obviously, everyone's in a bit of the same position at this moment in time. But yeah, it's, um, it's, been, it's been nice to spend a bit of time with them. But obviously, you know, it's, um, it's hard for everyone. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're all good. We're all, um, we've all got through the last few months, which is the main thing. And... Everyone's in one piece, which, you know, it's, um, I don't know how sometimes, but, but yeah, we're, um, we're all there, we're all together. So that's it. We're not, not living in different houses at the moment, so at least that's a possibility. <laughs> well, I know from getting to know you and the family a little bit, you know, certainly Ruby Blue's got a lot of energy, hasn't she? She must have been struggling with the lockdown. 
Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's, it's just, she's got even more energy now as well. She's just turned <laughs> eight a couple of months ago and it's, um, it has been, I think you've got, um, you've got to really feel for the kids that age. I know Mickey's got a few kids as well and it's just, I think it's really hard for them, you know, not, not even that. It's the first time today she's went um, out to a, a, a dance camp, which you've all been social distancing with. And when, whenever she's been speaking to my mum and dad or Danielle's mum and dad and so excited is she's, the biggest thing she's excited is where to get away from me and Danielle. Yeah. So <laughs> so, you can't blame them, you know. It must be really, really tough. And, you know, the, you don't know what's going on in their small little heads here. Yeah, I, I, my little my little and Betty was so excited when she was allowed to sleep over at Nana's. She was almost packing a bag. Yeah. That weekend when we were like, you can go to see Nana. She was like, right, I'm off. She's only four. Yeah. She was yeah. like, yeah, to get away from her dad, I think that's what it was. It's just been it's just been crazy, hasn't it? You know, that's been, you know, it's been even cra- crazier than me nine, ten months at Hartlepool. <laughs> well, we'll come on to that. I mean, <laughs> just saying there, it looks like you've spent a little bit of that lockdown just nurturing those locks, Craig, and making sure they're looking as fine as they can. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've not had my haircut for quite a while, so it's um, and unfortunately, me um, my hairdresser she's she's packed in as well. She's moved on, so and now I've got to have the you know I've got to find out a new hairdresser. And we all know what that's like, you know. I've got to, I can't just jump into that. I've got to trust someone with it. So it's, um, it's going to take a while to narrow it down. So now it's, it is what it is, isn't it? You know, it's, I think um, it's been open for a while now, but I'm still um. It's a great excuse for me. I've, you know, I've always just got my hair cut through pure peer pressure to get cut shorter than what I've actually wanted it. So I've just went it all out and let it grow as long as I can. So it's been a great excuse. Harry, you, you've had long hair. I was saying to Simo before when we were at Middlesbrough, you had long hair. But I'm sure I saw a picture on Twitter the other day when you were playing at Middlesbrough when you had short hair. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't really remember you ever having short hair like that. It would have been. I would have been probably 17, 18. Right. I think I just it was either first year pro, second year YTS, and um, just got just started trimming the first team. It was one that you know when the you know when you get them the individual cards to sign. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was my first one of them as a, as a pro at Middlesbrough, and uh, it was just starting to. I was just starting to cross. It was um, all completely down to David Chinola. As soon as he came to Newcastle, I remember seeing his hair, thinking that's it. I want my hair like that. I was going to ask you: Is it was it music? inspired your hell was it off a footballer no nah, not at all not at all i'm not a big music fan to be honest i don't really listen to a lot of music so it's not it's um so i'm not a you know a rocker or anything like that yeah, yeah. it's just it was purely david ginola when i seen him in newcastle with long hair i just harrell you got lucky there because you were seeing ginola when i was a kid it was chrissy waddle and you used to have the uh, turn yeah. at the back <laughs> Yeah, was, <laughs> so yeah. that was that was probably the worst haircut you probably could ever have had. So at least yeah, I was still when I was younger. Yeah, been <laughs> to the coast as well. So now it's um, yeah, yeah. That was where it was purely down to purely down to one person. More serious matters than obviously looking at your role with with Connor's key. I, I know you've been back in training what two or three weeks now because you, you know you've got a competitive game coming up, haven't you? Yeah, we've been, we've been in four weeks now. Today was the start of our, um, well, no, today, last Friday was at the end of our fourth week. Right. So, yeah, we've got a Champions League qualifier coming up. Well, Champions League's first round coming up. Uh, a week on Wednesday, the, mo- the game's been moved to Wednesday. Right. So the draw was yesterday and we got Drew at home. Obviously, with the pandemic and situation, it's normally two-legged, but they've just went with one-legged and, 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 and fortunately, straight knockout, we've got at home, which we play in a Cardiff City Stadium with it being a COVID-friendly stadium. And um, it's, we're playing FK Sarajevo, 
which to be fair, it's, you know, it, you know, you don't want to speak too early, but it was probably the best draw we could have got. Yeah. As in, you know, um, coefficient season, you know, we could have got uh, Red Star Belgrade away, which yeah. last year in the Europa League we played Partizan Belgrade away, which was a very very tough game. They were fantastic team and and obviously last year would be Kilmarnock over two year legs in the Europa League in the first and second round in the first round of the Europa so now it's, it's been great it's been great to um, be back involved with European football it was something that um, that I really enjoyed when I, and when I was with TNS previously uh, and then coming back to Connors Keane assistant manager's role I've really enjoyed it I really work really enjoy working with Andy Morrison We've knew each other. We played together at Crystal Palace a short space of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, we knew each other through Andy come to Connors Key um, just before I left TNS. So it's, it's um, you know, you know what football's like. It's a small community, and everyone knows each other. And then I get the opportunity when they were um, doing the second year full time football, and I got the opportunity going there as assistant manager and and do as much as what I can to help them on a, their infancy in a full time club. Then, um, then now was, um, I jumped at the chance. It was great to get back to full-time football, working with players on a daily basis, trying to make them better and, and get on the training pitch with them, which which I was out of that for about six, seven months when I went to Bangor. Well, Craig, let's let's go back right to the very start for you then in your career. We'll come back to the, the management side of things. But as a player yeah. coming through at Middlesbrough and, and things like that, what, you know, I think it was Brian Robson at the time when you moved towards the first team, what kind of players were you coming through with there? And what, what kind of experience was that for you? Yeah, it, it was um, it was a bit surreal, really, surreal, really. When you look back at it now, you look at it now, and they've just you know they've just managed to save themselves in the championship by last game of the season, or give or take a game or two, should I say? You know, and you look at it then, and the players, the everything was on a huge upturn. The new stadium, the new training ground, the foreign players, you know, Ravinelli, Juninho, Emerson. You know them type of players. Brian Robson to start with. I I, I don't know. You know I'm I'm sure Mick Mickey knows a bit more about me because I only spent probably I didn't come into Middlesbrough Football Club till I was about 15, 16, where I'd imagine Mickey probably come right the way through from being school excellence, 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s. Yeah. I, I didn't do that. I I come in late doors. Um, strangely enough, I, I had near enough signed for Dalton. Uh, Dalton offered me a two-year YTS and a two-year pro. When I was 15, 16, I was probably a bit of a late de- developer in my group. They'd been in my boys' club, which was Reggie Boys' Club in Gateshead. They'd been about eight or nine of which were go well. I wasn't in that group to start with at 15, 16. I was, you know, I was overlooked. It was the second half of me under 16s where I grew probably three or four inches. And also, for some reason, it just clicked. And in, in, in I, in I was, and in the end, you know, I end up signing for Millsborough. So I didn't go through that Ayrson Park, come and play. You know, I might play a couple of reserve games. Basically, my first year at the football club was the year we got promoted from Ayrson Park and we're leaving to the Riverside. So, you know, Mickey, Mickey could tell you, obviously, seeing the, seeing the changes, are, you know, a lot more than me, really. May, it, I didn't know anything, anything different, really. Yeah. Apart from yeah. a little bit of time at Torsby Road, which was interesting, and in, in, in the Riverside in, in Herworth, really. So, Harry, did you? Because we used to train at a prison at um, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Levin, Levin, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, so we used to go in Simor, and it was a proper, proper prison. So you'd have these playing fields. The pitches were decent, but the guard would come and open the door, and he would 
say, right, I'll come back at 12 o'clock. So you were locked in, but I had the fence all rounded. And the prisoners, I remember John Henry used to banter all the people, like, come on, jump the fence, lads, you can join in. But one day, one of the lads broke his leg after about 10 minutes of training. And no one thought what would happen if someone got injured. So these poor lads lying on the floor with a broken leg for about an hour until the guard yeah. could go back and open them up. But Tolsbury Road used to train there. It was incredible. Though. You had all these like, fantastic stars training on absolute like, oh. <laughs> dog shit, if you know what I mean. It was literally as bad as that. And I know Ravenelli complained about the facilities a lot. Yeah. But it was that transition period, wasn't it, from sort of being a, a, a big-ish club to going to be a really big club with big players and a, and a new stadium. But... Um, I mean, I don't know about you, Harry, but I've spoken about this before. Just being in the same room as Brian Robson for me was just, it was just the biggest highlight because he was my hero when I was growing up. So it was just brilliant being in that room with him. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was very similar for me because it was too, uh, you know, I was very, very fortunate to, to train and play a couple of reserve games with both my biggest football heroes, which one was Brian Robson and the other one was Paul Gascoigne, which was, which was unbelievable when you, when you look back at it. And then you're looking at, you know, I don't think, I think at the time you do realise how big it was, but you look at it now, in, in Ravenelli had played in the Champions League final about two months before he signed for Middlesbrough. You know, imagine in the, like, it was starred in the Champions League final in, in the <laughs> team, in the in the championship, well, just being promoted to the Premier League. You know, it was almost it's like, a, like a Sheffield United last year, a Ronaldo going to say, not quite that big because Ronaldo's one of the best in the world, but one of the, a player like that going to sign for a team. And none of that would have happened if it hadn't been for Brian Robson. None of yeah. it, in my opinion, anyway. You know, you know obviously you've got Steve Gibson, who, who's, he, you know, he's, he's been proven over the last 20-odd years, 25, 30 years, to probably, without a doubt, being the best chairman in the Football League and Premier League, without a doubt. You know, and the support he gave every one of his managers. But at the time, it was, you know, for me, I think, it was it was completely down to Brian Robson. So with all those players there, how do you go about challenging for a place in the first team? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you know you're talking about Mickey there as well. It was probably the reason why I left as well. You know, uh, yeah. um, eventually Christian Ziegert come in. In, 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 <laughs> what, what, what can you do? <laughs> Same from AC Milan. <laughs> and you know, it, it was it was one of them that I had my work cut out getting in front of likes of Dean Gordon, you know, who domestically was a very good player, and yeah, Keith yeah. O'Neill could play at left back as well, it, you know. And then when when Christian come in, I just thought I've just got to I've just got to go and play. I was twenty twenty one year old and. You know, I had not long signed a long-term five-year contract, and you know, and it was it was just something that I just you know, and I'm still really good friends with Dave Geddes. Me and Dave, are, you know, he's been a mentor of mine all the way for a long time from being a youth team, even actually school excellence on a Friday night in in um, in Lovely Hill and Gateshead. You know, so it's been it's been a good twenty years that me and Dave have knew each other, and he's he's been a he's been a mentor of mine. And um, I remember Dave always saying to me that you're a footballer to be a footballer. You're not a footballer to sit on the bench or to be a squad player or to or, or this or that. You know, when it comes to the end of your career and you've been a footballer for 15 years but you've played 50 games, you know, yeah. that, that, that's not... That, that, in his opinion, and I respect his opinion, I still do, and I think he's right what he said, 
it, and it wasn't me thinking I should be playing in front of Christian Ziga. You know, I certainly shouldn't have been. You know, and at the time as well, um, uh, Robbo was, you know, he, he wanted me to stay. I just signed a, a long-term deal. He, he, I would have been second choice. I would have been involved in cup games. I would have been in the squad and travelling. But I'd had a taste of the first team. I'd come back from illness. Um, I played in the Premier League a handful of games. And then I'd just come back in. As Mickey knows, life's never the same once you play in the first team you go back in the reserves. And yeah, again, like I said, I knew I was never going to play from merit, which is understandable. You've got a German international playing in front of you in the in the peak of his career, 26, 27. It's not like he was, it wasn't, wasn't like it was like Branko, who was like 65. Yeah. <laughs> it was, he um, still got it ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was realistically, I wasn't going to play. So I just, you know, I spoke with, I spoke with the manager with, with Prime Robson at the time and just said, look, I, I really like to go out on loan. I, I don't want to go and back and play in the reserves. And, you know, as much as reserves is a lot different then days is what it is now with the 23s, it, you know. And, and, and then after a month, um, they wanted to take us on a permanent deal. And I really enjoyed it. Like you said, the competitive Crystal Palace, you know, there was 15,000, 16,000 there every week. You know, it's a, it's a tough place to go. They, they were very ambitious at the time. The, uh, Simon Jordan was the young chairman, you know, and, and it was somewhere that that wanted me to go, and, and I wanted to go. I didn't want to go back into in that monotony of of like Mickey said, training really hard every day, and then for a reserve game midweek, it, it was just not where I wanted to be at that time in my career. And, you know, because I thought in twenty twenty one, you know, you're old enough now to be going being the first team player. Week in, week yeah. out somewhere. So it was something so, that... Who, who was the manager, Harrow, that took you down there? And who, who was the players that we would know around that time? Yeah, Alan Smith was the manager. All mm-hmm. ah, right, yeah. Not Alan Smith, who played for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, Alan Smith, who... Um, yeah. He, he, um, he was assistant manager there with Steve Coppel a few years earlier. Yeah, I but remember at the time, him. At the time, we, we, had some, we had some decent players, you know. You know, they just signed Neil Ruddick. Um, Mikel Fussell. Oh, Clinton yeah. Morrison, um, trying to think who else, um, Matt Clark, Jamie Smith. Um, they just signed a few from, they signed a, a three, two, three players from Arsenal. We signed Matty Upson, Julian Gray, um, Tommy Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, had a, we, had a young, we had a young team where, where um, they took six or seven lads from Premier League clubs that weren't playing every week and, and had a bit of a go. Jamie, Jamie Pollock come eventually. Jamie come. Right. Um, um, was that after, after he'd been at Osasuna? Or? It was, yeah. Yeah, was it was. It? Yeah. yeah, after he'd been at Osasuna, yeah. Uh, Dave Hopkin. Um, so so we, had, we had a decent team, but yeah. it was just shambolic from the start. It was, um, it was really tough. I think we went the first 11 games without winning. The first, you know, we, we, we got beat left, right and centre and we're... We we'll only end up staying up last day of the season against Stockport away. Uh, it was it was between us and Stockport who were going to get relegated from the championship to League One, but we managed to stay up and you know and it was um. But I think it was just too, we just were too young. Yeah. We, we, we had too young of a team. We had three or four senior players, but I think we we're, were just too young of a team with with decent sort of young potential, but. I just it was just a young team at the time. We would, you know, it was, um, and that's where that's where um, Andy Morrison came in on loan from Man City, 
um, and he come in near the end of it, and you know, and um, imagine so, playing against him and Neil Ruddock centre half. I was going to say, was that the two centre halves? Wow, wow. <laughs> so yeah, no, nah, I, I, I did see firsthand on numerous occasions more than once that a centre forward went off within half an hour, not fancying it. So, so from opposition, to nah, I don't think I would either, as well, to be honest. And it was obviously at Crystal Palace where one of the pivotal moments in your career, probably one of the pivotal moments in your life, I guess, Gavin, listen to you talk about it before, the, the bad injury you sustained, which ultimately led to the end of your playing career, was was such a traumatic time for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was um, It was in the second season. It was. Um, I'd actually just recovered from a dislocated shoulder, which I'd done playing the first team. Um, got fit again. Uh, we're playing Newcastle, strange enough. It's St James's Park in the in the January in the fourth round of the FA Cup, I think it was. And I got myself back in the squad. I was on the bench. Um, normally, uh, we'd um, stay up in Newcastle. At the time, we'd had quite a good um, a good bunch of lads that you know used to used to come back up in Newcastle, which I used to sort out quite quite regularly. I used to have a night out in Newcastle and. You know, and all the lads were like, oh, staying in Newcastle, um, can you sort out Craig, blah, 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 can you say? So I sort them out and I said, no, nah, I'm not staying. There's a reserve game. I want to get back to the team. I'm going back to playing the game. And they're like, yeah, good one. Yeah, good one, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I did. In, in, in that game, within 20 minutes, 30 minutes of that game, that was when I broke my leg. Which um, I, I remember playing as days if it was yesterday. I, I was one of the senior players playing in the game. Um, they, I, I can't remember who it was. It was a reserve game against Redden at Redden's training ground, and me being me, they um, they, they had a young lad who was going around kicking people. I was a senior player in the team. I was like, no, nah, I'm not having that. I went and smashed him. Um, next time he smashed me again. I think I smashed him, and then there's just an opportunity where I fell between the two, where it could have quite easily been him or me, hundredth of a second. We both didn't even go anywhere near the ball. We both went over the top. And unfortunately, it was me that, that, that got the bad injury. And I knew straight away that the sound was horrific. I, now, everyone in the round had thought it was shin pad was snapped, but it wasn't. It was my fibia and tibia. And then, you know, and then there was a bit of blood coming through. So lifting my leg up in the air in my ankle and my ankle's just swaying in the wind like that. And then it was, you know... Then you're getting everyone coming around you. Oh, this is disgusting. Look at this, which doesn't help. And, you know, to be fair at the time, whether it's shock, your body just takes over. And it didn't actually hurt that much, to be honest. I knew I'd done something serious. Mm. And I knew there was it was a real bad one. But the actual pain at the time wasn't, wasn't unbearable. It was one of them things that I just thought, you know, the, the physio come on, she stabilised my leg, ambulance come, and, and it was, um, when the ambulance driver come, the physio said, look, he's got a double compound fracture, fib and tib, halfway down the front of his shin, it's come out front and side. The bone, one bone's come out the front, one come out the side, and I've packed it, I've put it, I've put it um, in, in a brace, so we need to get hospital as quick as I can quick as we can so but the ambulance driver because probably because I was that calm because of shock or because of whatever it may have been that the ambulance driver was like are you sure it's that he's not making an awful lot of fuss you know it's reminiscent <laughs> of a motorbike cycle accident more than a football accident so there's blood there so are you sure it's not just a gash on his shin so 
it's probably three or four minutes in the back of the ambulance. He's unwound all the bandage. And then as soon as he's got it, he's went, oh, yeah, it is. And he's whipped it back <laughs> on as quick as he can, get the blue lights on, and we need to get to the hospital as quick as what we can. No, we got to the hospital. Um, same again. It was funny. Well, it wasn't funny, but it was quite... <laughs> Again, wheeled in the hospital, the A&E, and um, the, the physio is going bananas because I'm waiting for 15, 20 minutes in A&E. You know, and then she managed to grab hold of one, a, a surgeon that went past her, a doctor, and said, you need to see this leg straight as possible. So he's whipped us into a private, um, into a room, got a seniors and said, right. And within two hours, I'd had an operation. It, it was wow. it was done within two hours of operation because obviously the, you, you get all the complications with, you know, as soon as a bone comes out of the skin, you know, the, the bone getting too much um, oxygen, then the bone dies and then you're in big trouble. You, you know, that, that's been very dramatic and down the line. But, but worst case scenario, you could have to have your leg amputated because the bone, yeah. the, you know, the bone dies where it's being exposed to oxygen or air and it doesn't quite recover. So straight in, and, and it was probably about, I, rem- I remember it, I'm at the pain, it was probably about 20 minutes before I went in for the operation. It, it really, the pain just started kicking in. It was like a, a really bad throbbing. It was a re- to the point of where I couldn't control myself from, I w- actually wasn't crying through being upset. I was crying because of the pain. The, the, what, the tears were literally like pouring down my face and it wasn't a voluntary thing that I was crying through being upset. It was just the pain that I had from it. I don't know whether my body had just got used to it and it just kicked in, but I think that was only 20 minutes, half an hour before I know I was going into the theatre to get the operation done. And then as we went on and went on, I think we got about nine months down, nine months down the line and um, the biggest problem was the the tendon that runs from your big toe to your patella tendon had been severed because the bone had come through. So that had to be stitched back together. So naturally that had been, that, that had sort of shrunk. So I was losing 25, 30% of power and flexion in my left ankle, which in the end was probably what stopped us from playing at, a, at right. an elite level, not the actual yeah. injury. But I got back to it, worked hard, worked really hard with physio, been, been back two or three times to the surgeon, um, X-rays, everything, right, next process, next process. So it's get to, I'm on the training pitch and I'm running. I spent time in the pool, spent time in the gym and I'm running. And I got to about, I was supposed to be doing a 20-minute run and I got to about 12 minutes and there was a, such a burning sensation on the front of my shin. And, you know, I, I think I've got quite a high pain threshold and, and I wouldn't class myself as soft. And, and it was like, this is unbearable. So had a chat with the physio physio was like you know Craig that there will be pain yes I understand that I've had a traumatic injury blah 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 second day done it third day done it same 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 it got to five days down the line and I just said to the physio look I can't do it honestly I'm, I can't do this anymore the pain is horrific um, so we've managed to get a second opinion completely private in Harley Street in London start of Simon Jordan being fantastic for me um, paid for all that there you go, go and look. And basically what had happened was, and I don't know how this had happened, that the the tibia, which is the or the fibia, any physio out there will put us right, but <laughs> the, the main the main bone, the, the weight bearing bone, still had a two inch gap in it. Oh my god. So the non weight bearing bone had fused and come together 
in between though, it wasn't. I, I was basically running with a broken leg, but I, I had a pin put down. I had a metal pin put down the middle of it, which had been bolted in from my knee and ankle, which is still in there now, a different one. So that was where the pain was coming from. That I was basically still running with a broken leg and not and not fused. How did that not it. did that not get picked up on X-rays or? Well, no, it didn't. It didn't. Which it seems incredible. That like. yeah, yeah, it did. You know, it was something that that was you'd think at a championship club. Uh, not, I can't blame Crystal Palace for that because because of the injury, it, it was NHS and and I don't know yeah. whether it was he was just a bog standard orthopedic surgeon. Not that this bog standard, obviously the fantastic, but he wasn't. He, I, I don't think he was. He wasn't a private or a specialist in in that. He was yeah. just whoever was on call that night, who who you know to get the emergency operation done. But so I got it done again. In in the, in the the surgeon who was who who was dealt a lot with football, has a lot of breaks, a lot of knee ankle orthopedic surgeon <clears throat> specialist in Harley Street. He he uh, he basically said, look, it um it. Unfortunately, we're going to have to do the whole operation again. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to um, break the bone that healed. Take a two-inch gap out of it. Uh, I'm going to have to take the metal rod out. And because of the damage that that's caused, I'm going to have to put a thicker metal rod, metal rod in. And I'm going to have to take a bone graft from your hip, just to try and make sure that it hasn't it, that it fuses. Because the next step is, which everyone would have probably seen would have been, you know, like the metal frames you see some people in, big, look terrible. Yeah. And what they actually do is every so often they screw your bone and make them closer together. He said that'll be the final, that, that, that's the only option we've got after this, so we're going to try your bone graft first to try and calcify it as quick as we can, so then it goes from there. So I think that was the pivotal moment where, where I, I possibly knew in my head that this is going to be it was going to be yeah. tough getting back, but then having to go back again and have another nine months in rehab, having another operation, uh, all soft tissue, nothing they could do about it was too far on. They would, they didn't want to um, try and stretch me tendons or ligaments. They didn't want to do anything. Like that. It was just a pure bone situation. We're going to have to get this healed because it doesn't look very good. I, th- I think it, that that is why you know, and in moving forward, and no, no matter whatever happened in my professional life from now on, would never ever be ten percent as bad as the eighty months had there, and then the eighty months I had after having to finish football. So no matter what anyone says to me, no matter how many sh- how much shit or how much grief or how bad the job gets or how bad my professional life gets, no one could ever go anywhere near close to them the times where you, you're all well and truly by yourself. You're all well and truly battling against your own mind. In as much as anyone doesn't like to hear it, football clubs don't like to hear it, they don't really care about you, especially long-term injury, because if you're back in two, three weeks, the manager might always be like, oh, well, I've got him in mind. But if you know you're not going to be out for nine, 10, 11 months, basically the manager just forgets about you. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's the re- reality of it. You know, I'm not saying it was on purpose. I'm not saying the bad people, the managers, they weren't. You know, it was just that's the way it was. And you know as well as me, Mickey, that's the way it was back in the day. You know, more so now because there's a lot more of mental health issues. And, and I think people go out the way now and there's a lot more staff at football clubs that, that can work with, with injured players on a one-to-one or a, or a three-to-one or whatever. But it did literally sometimes used to be, there was days 
there was days on end. If the first team physio had a busy, busy day with lads who are going to play or, or, or needed strap, it'd be like I get in at nine o'clock and I wouldn't even wouldn't even say hello to him till twelve because I'd just say, oh, oh, Craig, I'm busy. I'll see you later. And I'd be I used sick. to. I used to hate it, Harrow, if, if I was ever injured and the first team were away on the Saturday and had a long trip because I knew from Thursday yeah. I, w- I wasn't going to see the physio and I couldn't get the treatment that I needed. And, and again, it's that sort of, there might be the YSs there but, or a couple of the injured people who you've spoken to for months and months and months and, and but you haven't got that guidance of your physio and that he becomes your best friend and that person yeah. that you need to see, you need to have that conversation with and and without them, you're almost rudderless, aren't you? Because you've got nothing to help you through that day. And, and it, those days become even longer than the normal ones, I thought. Uh, like I said, it was, I don't, like, people outside of professional football uh, do not realise the, the, the actual... The, I, would, I wouldn't say... Would, would you say trauma and mental trauma that you go... It is. I, I, I honestly believe it is. I think it's... it's all, it's like a, a frustration, a trauma, it, everything that you've always wanted to do, you can't do, and that's taken yeah. away from you. But yeah. sort of, you're standing in the club, I think, even if you're the captain yeah. or you're a long serving player, it seems to disappear as well, and you yeah. become, you're just floating around the place. You're just sort of being there without. Do you know what it reminds me of? And I don't want to embarrass you, Craig, but I remember when I think it was fairly early on after you'd come to Hartlepool, and we had a young player at the time who was going through a bit of an injury nightmare. And I believe you, you took him out for dinner, didn't you? And, yeah, I did, yeah. Tried, tried, tried to make, I don't know if you want to name him, I know he's still at the club yeah, now. No, I'm quite happy to, yeah. Um, it, it was Aaron Cunningham, wasn't it? Yeah. He's still at the club now, he's just signed a new deal. And, you know, you never know if that had such an impact on him to keep him upbeat and to keep him going, because he was having a nightmare, wasn't he? Yeah, no, he was, and I, and I felt for him, I really did. You know, and, and it was probably a... A positive out of a negative situation for me that you know that I, that I could I could relate to him. You know, like you said, Simo, he's a player that did he had he played in the first team a handful well, that's of games. I'm not sure he had no. He, 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 nah, so he, he didn't. You know, he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna be my savior, my be all and end all. But it was just something that you know I, I knew I could feel it, I could sense it, and and I, I just said to him, I said to him one day, we're, we're both. You know, both lives in the in the Durham area, and I just said to him, "Look, you know what?" I text him, said, "What are you doing?" I think at first, at first, he thought I was meeting him to release him. <laughs> and, and I can't remember what it was called. It was the Italians on the cross at Neville's Cross, upstairs on the corner. Right. I can't remember what it was called now. And I, and, I, and we went there, and I, I just sat and had a, like a conversation with him, and, I, and, and about about the whole thing. And and I'd like to think that if someone had done that to me, it would have been. You know, so relief, and I hope it helped him. I hope it. I hope it still does. You know, I hope it's something that. But it was something I would never want anyone to go through, without without feeling, you know. And and I was fortunate, and I was a first team player. I was yeah. some. I was a. I was the first choice left back, so it it wasn't like, it wasn't like I wasn't a youth player trying to make me way in the team, make me ways in my profession. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd I'd been fortunate to play a handful of games in the. Premier League in, in, in 20, 30 games in the championship previous and then a season in the championship. So, you know, now, you know, it's something that I'd, I'd, I'd hope, I'd hope that that give him a boost and, and hopefully it's something that, that helped him along his career path. You mentioned obviously the, the 18 months of, of treatment and then what followed was for test. I mean, we've spoken a few times and, and I know Mickey's been fairly honest about 
how he felt after after he left football. But your story is a slightly different one because what we've covered already is the challenges sort of um, of mentally to, to, to cope at the end of your career when you've had a long playing career. Yeah. You're sort of just ground to a, a sudden halt, didn't it? How how difficult was it to to get your head around that, and how how much did you struggle with it? Yeah, it was it was just like like you said, it, it, it's just a daily it chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, you know. And it was you know it was disastrous for my home life as well. It was you know it's just not. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near me doing that, and I wouldn't want to be any near any footballer, no matter what any, no matter what any wife says or family or whatever. It, you know, it's just as bad for the for the people around them than, than what it is then, because you just go into some. It is it, no, it's a depression. I think it, it definitely is a depression. In in you know, to be told then, right, Craig, that's it, you're done. You know, and it was a. I probably had about it was it was really weird. I probably had a two or three week spell. Of where I was like, right, it's it, it's fine, it's fine, no problem, no problem. Still, still kept training with Crystal Palace, still getting me physio. I still had another year left on my contract. Um, everything, everything seemed fine, and then it was probably the moment where I actually decided um, I'm going to move back to Durham. I'm going to move back to the northeast, and that was probably where it was probably about two months later, two three months later where then the real reality hit hard of then you think about a depression about being injured but then the realism of you you've just you've just had to finish your career at 25 26 year old as a footballer then you know then it really did it really did hit home the, the depression and you know I spoke to Simo about it and I spoke openly about it on, on numerous different platforms and it was it was hell on earth completely it was it was you know I, I, I struggled to leave the house. I struggled to get up and get ready. I just just struggled with my everyday life. At 26 year old, in in just coming off the back of the best profession you could ever wish for, it was just you know I literally locked myself away. Didn't speak to my parents. Um, didn't speak to my sister. Didn't you know that my partner, my long term partner at the time, um, that just completely broke down. Went our separate ways. It was just it was a it was an awful time to be. You know, wasn't there wasn't as as much ready-made um, people to listen. There wasn't as much expertise. There wasn't as much money spent. There wasn't as much. It wasn't in the public eye anywhere near as much as what it is now. Never mind as a professional footballer. In the you know, I, I for, fortunately got through it with not much help to be honest. And that was probably off my own back because I didn't want to. I, I spoke a little bit to the the old doctor at Crystal Palace. But by that time, I'd moved back to the northeast. It maybe a few texts every now, and it just drifted away. Um, family, which which was, I was very very fortunate. My mum, dad, and sister were, you know, very very understanding. They understood when to give me my space. They understood when I when I needed them, and you know, and it, it was. I, I don't. I, to be honest, I just almost like rode the storm. And got through it myself, which I wouldn't recommend because the repercussions of that only until probably eighteen months, even if that, maybe the last two years, I've probably still struggled with it somewhere deep down. Yeah. That I actually went and got professional counselling about it. it. No, twelve years later, thirteen years later, I think I'm okay. I think I got over the worst of it then. 
uh, it, it turns out that I get myself back involved with football. I throw myself back involved with football and that coaching journey and managing journey goes brilliantly. So I'm fine, but I still really wasn't. I wish I had of in, in what, what would be certainly for someone now going through that would be the sooner you speak to someone, the better, a professional person, the sooner you speak to someone better because I, you know, I went through 12, 13, 14 years of my life where everything seemed rosy because I was, because what, what got me in that depression was taking football away. And I just thought straight away, I'm back in football. I'm enjoying it. It's my job. It's full time. I'm fine again. But I wasn't. I wasn't. And still, probably now is still something you carry around with you probably forever. It's more of a, and I don't want to be too dramatic about it. And, and it's, it's more of a bereavement than a, than a thing that happened, you know, that you've got to, you've got to almost sort of, you know, you, you've got to have that time, you bereave, the bereavement of it and grieving time after it happened where I never actually thought I really did. And that would be my biggest recommendation to anyone now. As soon as you feel like that, go and see someone straight away, a yeah. professional, go and see someone because the longer, you know, the, 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 the time I've wasted in the time that I've spoiled with family, with um, close friends, parents that I could have probably been a better person with beforehand would have, would have I think would have been great. I can't go back anymore. I can just work forward and move forward with it. But still, even now, it creeps up on you every now and then. You know, it ne- I don't think it ever goes. It creeps up over every now and then, and you you have your bad days. And, you know, and fortunately, you know, I have a I have a lot more better days. You know, than, than I have the odd yeah. bad. Day, but I think what I mean, I've spoken about this before with Simo and on, on this show as well. It, I, the thing, and it, it it took me probably four or five years, Craig, to be honest, to to really understand how I was feeling. And a lot of mine was to do with missing people in football and yeah. and sort of and, and my wife would say, Well just ring them up and I'm like, it it, it wouldn't be the same. And then people that I might only see once or twice or three or four times a year and have that conversation with and, and go to matches and and I thought, do you know what, I don't miss it. And I, in my head I was trying to convince myself that I didn't miss it. But then if I ever went to a match I'd come home and, and you feel it's like it's almost like your your life's in the past and you're yeah. looking back on it as a life yeah. that you used to have. And you know, it's for me, it's not going to happen again. So it's almost like you're blocked off a part of your life. But that means everyone or the majority yeah. of people from that life are blocked off as well. And obviously you've got your close friends that you speak to, but it, it might be people, I don't know, like Chrissy Powell that you might bump into twice at Charlton when he was manager there and have a big crack with. And, and mm. I really miss that sort of interaction with people. And, yeah. and I, don't, I don't know whether I'll ever see them types of people again. Yeah. And I found that really difficult, but it took me a long time to understand that that's the part of football I was really missing. I don't know what I would have done. I don't know where I would have been if, you know, if I had probably hadn't met my current partner, Danielle. And, you know, we've got a beautiful little girl now that's eight years old. And I think them are the, them are the things that have probably kept us sane and pushed us on. From, certainly from, from the first three or four years of recovering from it, from after finishing playing, me and Danielle got together about a year after I've retired. And, and then... It, it was. It, I think it just. It was. You know. I don't want to. Don't want to sound too too soft. Yeah, too soft. But it probably <laughs> was a bit of a, a bit a bit of a not a saviour, but it was something that 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 um 
I don't know where I would have been without that full stop. Yeah. I think I, I can't I, be any more I, honest I, than that. 